This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast, and I'm here with Ella. Hi, Ella. Welcome. Hi. How are you, Annie? So good. So we got to meet because we were doing a um, joint interview together for Laura over at Club Soda. And I got to hear a little bit of your story, but I was like, oh man, I have to have Ella on and hear, hear all the details. So thank you for joining. I'm so excited. Oh, you're very welcome. It's so lovely to be invited. I'm a big fan of yours. So I'm happy to be on your podcast. <laughs> oh, awesome. So um, why don't you take us sort of back to the beginning in your drinking story? Like where did it all, all begin for you? Sure. So um, I started drinking kind of properly when I was about 17. Um, so I'm British, as you can probably tell from my accent. Um, I'm from London, um, born and raised. And we have a very um, strong drinking culture here in the UK. Um, it's very much embedded within society. Any occasion, people have a glass of wine. Um, pub culture is very big here, um, drinking after work and when I was 17 that's when I was in um that would have been like the final two years of high school um so that was sixth form here in the UK and that's when I started to go out with my friends and because I'm very tall I'm nearly six foot I never got ID'd um because as you know we can drink when we're 18 in the UK but I started before then and I very rapidly um found that I could become a louder, more fun, in inverted commas, version of myself, that it gave me more confidence. And I really liked the buzz that I got from alcohol. Um, so I went out a lot with my friends, um, had a good time. Some evenings were quite dramatic, others less so. Um, and then I went to university and there's a really, really huge um, drinking culture there. There's a thing called Freshers Week. Um, I'm sure you have it at school in the States as well. And um, it's very much about going to different venues where you drink a particular drink there or you do a dare or it's all kinds of nonsense. And I guess it's a way to break the ice with meeting different people from around the country and of course, international students as well. Um, but it gets very messy and it was definitely very messy for me. Um, I don't have many memories of that week apart from the photos that would come up on Facebook the next day um, and I would cringe with embarrassment. So um, my drinking then throughout my 20s just became very much a cycle of really hammering it, like going to town on the weekends with my friends or at an event or at a festival and then spending a few days really hungover in a anxiety spiral, but I didn't know what that was at the time. And then to feel better, I'd reach for the next drink. Um, and that was my habit for many, many years. And I did many things that I regretted when I was drunk. I'm quite a passionate person. I have very strong political views and that would all come out um, when I was drunk. Um, I've offended so many people um, about my opinions um, that, you know, it's great to be opinionated, but I think there's a time and a place for it. Um, and I think alcohol just sort of poured fuel on that for me. Um, I've broken mirrors. I have um, had many one night stands, um, which I was ashamed of at the time. Worked through that now and that's fine. Also no shame in having one night stands, by the way. Um, so done lots of things that I regretted that 
I think for somebody on the outside looking in wouldn't say that that's a big deal, that that's a normal way to drink, especially in the UK. Um, but I always found that I would go too far. It was a bit like throwing the dice. One night it might be okay, but another night something more dramatic might happen. So it was quite it was quite exhausting, I think, in a way, being kind of trapped in this spiral. And then I trained to be a French teacher. I taught French at secondary schools in the UK. And it's a very stressful job, um, as any teacher knows, especially teaching a foreign language. And I've really started to notice that my drinking was a coping mechanism for all the stress that I felt doing that job. And then when I left teaching, I moved into TV and um, I eventually became a producer. And because there was a sort of gap, a way of sort of reassessing who I was, I decided to stop drinking. And I was about 26 at the time. So I managed to stop drinking for six months using the sheer force of my willpower alone, um, but not looking at any underlying reasons. And then I went out for dinner with a friend and thought, stuff this, let's just have some Pinot Grigio and just got back into drinking um and then that again that cycle of binge drinking and then not drinking for a little while continued for a few more years and then last year after I turned 30 I was at my friend's um oh bachelorette party that's what you call it in the states um <laughs> uh, we call it a Hindu here in the UK I was at her her part her bridal shower and uh, it was beautiful it was lovely we're having a lovely time making floral headdresses and we'd been drinking a lot of Prosecco and I had this moment where I looked at my empty glass and the bottle that I just polished off and I thought what am I doing like what am I doing and it was a sinking feeling that like I'd never experienced before in my life and I went to the bathroom and looked in the mirror and thought I can't do this anymore it's just this is it and I'd never had a feeling like that in my life so I left the party, um, cried all the way home on the subway, um, right the way back to East London. So it was an hour on the subway of me just crying, um, which I think is a very normal sight on a Saturday night, unfortunately. <laughs> well, at least it was last year. And, um, and then the following day, I, I was actually training to be a coach at the time. And we did some training and... I spoke to the person on the call and they said, well, you know, you could stop drinking. That could be an option. And they recommended um, The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober by Catherine Gray to me. So I rushed out and bought it, um, read it in a day. And I thought, well, maybe there is another way. Maybe I could stop drinking and maybe if I follow this feeling, um, but it's guided me this way for a reason that I might feel better. Um, so I read loads of Quitlet. Um, I decided to draw on my strengths to somebody who is an avid reader. And I thought I can get into this. There are loads of books. Um, and This Naked Mind was one of them. And I listened to podcasts and I reached out to uh, an acquaintance who is also sober and she really helped me. And um, that's been it really. I've just been on, I know it's an overused um, word, but I've been on this sort of journey of figuring out what sobriety looks like for me um and as somebody who's not what you who you expect to be a sort of alcoholic I guess I was more of a gray area drinker so I think I got off a bit early um my aunt who it, she describes herself as an alcoholic she's been sober for 15 years and she 
um, went to AA. Um, we've talked about it quite a lot. And she said, yeah, you, you got off early. That's that's the difference between you and me. She was like, you've recognized it before it's progressed to that level. Um, and that's just what I've been doing since then. And honestly, it is the best decision I have ever made in my life. It was very unexpected, I think, for a lot of people and even for myself. Um, but I'm so glad I did it. Um, and yes, like everything, there are days where it's really hard. However, the overall effects and benefits and positivity it's brought to my life um, and also to the people around me, it can't negate that. Um, and I think it's really interesting when you stop drinking to step, take a step back and look at alcohol for what it is. And I think through reading about it, I can now clearly see that it is a poison, <laughs> no matter how we dress it up in, you know, pretty bottles and with clever marketing and all of that at its heart, it is, it is a drug. And I think I've now really realized that and that it doesn't add anything to my life. That's the important bit of mindset work, I think. And that took me a little while to get my head around and I had to keep on going over that and writing down in my diary why that was important and listening to different podcasts and speaking to other sober people for that to really crystallize in my mind. And now it has, it just feels like there's an enormous pressure off me. That makes sense. So I'm nearly a year and a half sober at this point and yeah it's great it's great it's such a good decision cannot recommend it enough <laughs> oh that's so amazing so have you um how has it been kind of in in your I guess professional world and you know with your friends especially the friends that you left at the um bridal shower and stuff how how has it kind of gone over well um in in terms of um, professional life, so um, TV is a very drink heavy culture. Um, it's very much going for drinks after work or celebrating when you've finished filming, like you'd have a rap party, though I'm sure those are all going to be over Zoom now. Um, so it was it was quite hard to to say that to my colleagues, um, especially because I was freelance. So I'm kind of my own agent going from one production to another production on different depending on the documentary I was making and I did mainly history documentaries um, so there'd always be an awkward moment with the team before you go on shoot and they'd be like oh and then we can go here for dinner and have some wine and I'd be like oh yeah I don't drink anymore um, but most people have been really really um, respectful and very positive about it I have a very good friend of mine um, he's the same kind of level as I'm in TV we started at the same time and he was so so supportive so I think it's like having having an ally wherever you are I think that's the key for any kind of work situation that you're in and um, and then in terms of my friends those that, those group of friends at the bridal shower again have been really really supportive I think it took them maybe a minute to get their head around it I think they were a bit shocked um, because I was quite you know a booze hound like quite a big drinker you know life and soul of the party so I think they're a bit like oh this is seems to have come out of nowhere um but they've been they've been brilliant um and mo most of my friends have as well I think I've been very very lucky in that in that respect I think also as you get older your your friendship groups naturally change anyway and I think you move away from having 
shared experiences to shared values and that's really sunk in for me this year so I've definitely moved away from one group of friends but I've become closer to other friends because I've been more honest about my drinking and then how I feel I think you show up in a different way mm-hmm. and the people who are meant to be your friends really respect you for that um, and also and I, I never expected this to happen now two of my really close friends have also stopped drinking because I have um, because they were so I don't know if the word is inspired but they thought oh my gosh if Ella can do this and she's recognized this then why can't I and they're much happier as well Um, and I never thought that would happen and that's been wonderful um, because we can talk about it and kind of keep keep each other going which is which is really great so I think it does have the ability to bring you closer together with your friends and your family and also to meet other people who have that in common with you so I don't think it shrinks your world it actually expands it which is fantastic yeah Yeah. I think that's so true I think it takes a little adjustment for sure like any good change does really but I, I totally agree I think it expands expands things in such a cool way um, have you found that you've had to sort of put in in other practices? I mean, one of the biggest things that people experience is like, oh, okay, now I'm going to live experiencing all my emotions. Did you find there was any work to be done in, in figuring out why you were drinking so much in the first place? That has been the biggest piece of work and I'm still doing it. So I think with anything, the drinking was a symptom of a root cause. And I think for me, it was a belief that I wasn't good enough and I'm not sure where I picked this up from and I'm sure many of your listeners can resonate and relate to that as well just this feeling of being not good enough of being slightly different and I think also because I am someone who is of mixed heritage as well so um, I'm a woman of colour so I do stand out on I am an ethnic minority in the UK so I think that was connected to it as well and through drinking you fit in immediately um, and it gives you kind of social kudos um, and that's always what you want you want to feel that you belong so I think stopping drinking and unraveling those ideas through I do I do a lot of journaling and I did a lot of meditation at the start to really get to the bottom of that and that really really helped me Um, and then in terms of oh gosh, so many emotions coming up. I didn't realize for, oh my gosh, how much I had suppressed in terms of how I was feeling. And it makes sense now because I was so angry about things politically and the state of the world when I was drunk because it was an outlet for it. Mm -hmm. I felt I couldn't express my anger and how I was feeling. And now I'm sober Um, my anger is still like it's very much just below the surface and especially this year in terms of Black Lives Matter and how that's come about in the UK and how in the UK it's very much it's insidious racism Um, obviously there are horrific cases of it being more upfront but in the UK it's like oh don't talk about that we don't talk about that here and I think that's bothered me for so many years and now in 2020 everything coming up and then also being sober I can really appreciate my anger and acknowledge it for it being there and it being there for for a reason so I'm still working through that um still angry but it's okay I'm just trying to figure out how to put my anger into causes or things that matter to me so that's something I'm working on 
at the moment. Um, I've managed to do that a little bit in terms of the history documentaries that I've made. Um, I worked on a series about the history of slavery earlier on this year, and that brought up quite a lot for me in terms of my Afro-Caribbean heritage and the treatment of enslaved people. And it's still something I think about quite a lot. And I think that's the difference with sobriety. You really you feel all of your emotions and the intensity of them and how raw they are. And I think we're taught to really push it down. And very much in the UK, it's stiff upper lip culture. It's don't show any emotions. Don't be engaged in that. And now I feel that I am in it. It's very uncomfortable sometimes, but I'm glad to be experiencing it and glad to be true to myself and honest that yes these things really do bother me and I do want to make a difference and that's okay I don't need to drink to then express those feelings it's okay to have them then that's been a huge difference um, and as I say I'm still working through it it's still a process um, but it is it's very much like ripping off a layer of your skin I would say um, and coming to terms with living in the world when you don't have that kind of buffer between you and how you feel or being able to suppress something that feels uncomfortable at the start so it's been very very interesting to say <laughs> to say the least um, but then I think it's also brought out other qualities in me that I didn't know I had as much which is really lovely to see as well so it's not all negative I think it it shows it can show you how resilient you are and the level of empathy that you can have because once you're really honest about your own struggles you can really understand somebody else's and I think that's been really important for me in terms of my coaching and my own development as a person I'm also trying to work on my judgmental nature um, that's something that I'm still in the process of working on because I've definitely judged people at face value and I did this with a colleague um, we were working on the slavery series together and I assumed they were a certain type of person from a certain type of background but when I got to know them I found out that they had also struggled with alcohol and had actually done the AA program and that we had a lot more in common than I, than, I, than I first thought so that's been really interesting to experience that in sobriety um, and to really untangle that um, I guess it's just being more aware of um, your biases um, I'm more I'm quicker to catch them now which is quite good so it's yeah. been a really interesting and ongoing process in unraveling feeling of different emotions and I guess discovering new parts of myself as well which sounds cheesy but it is it's part of it I think oh it's beautiful I think it's amazing um to be able to reframe anger as a gift instead of something to be pushed down you know as a gift to be listened to and adhered to is is just such a beautiful and I think true reframe especially women's anger like I I feel like you know it's not as accessible to us and anger usually it's it's categorized as a secondary emotion because it usually covers up because it is more socially acceptable it usually covers up something like fear mm. so for us to get in touch with with both our anger and our fear and then be able to be activated by it instead of be like you know just in effect ineffectual i guess when we are um passionate from a platform of like as you were saying drunkenness and we can't 
actually convey change or communicate in a way that does convey change or like even allow possibility for change. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just, I think it's just amazing. Have you read um, 1969, the book? No, I've not. I'm going to write it down now. It sounds great. (laughs) It's really interesting. It's, um, gosh, I don't remember who the author is. And it's so funny because it's such a classic, but it's uh, 1969 author. Let me just look. Um, is the book called 1969? I think so. Anyway, let me make sure that I'm getting the right book. Uh, but anyway, in this book, yeah, I think it's called, they have this substance called Soma. Mm-hmm. And the it, it just reminds me so much of alcohol because it is, oh, sorry, it's Brave New World is, oh. is the book. Brave New World. Yeah. Um, That was really silly. So have you read Brave New World? (laughs) No, but I've heard of it. I've heard of it. I definitely know. I I know, I know that the story like roughly, but I've not read it. No. So, so basically, I I don't know where I got 1969 from. Maybe that was the year or something. Who knows? Sorry. (laughs) Anyway, in this book, they talk about this substance called Soma and it is voluntarily taken, but it's very heavily provided and because of this substance because it makes you feel euphoric and it numbs your pain and it does all of these things people are just being blind to the horrors that Mm. exist in the system right and and the horrors are very different than what we're dealing with today um in this book because it's fictional and and there's all sorts of dystopian things but the premise of the fact that we are voluntarily consuming something in order to be tolerant of the world we live in instead of trying to be changing the world we live in i think is a very real issue and i just see so many similarities in when we stop numbing it becomes such a beautiful thing because we can't be tolerant anymore we can't allow anymore or live in and be okay with what is happening we are compelled as human beings to like need to do something about it and i think that that is that is such a gift um you know it, it really does have to we have to become aware of the problems at at an emotional level almost in like this like make you on a puke level like yeah. in order to be able to to do something and then we can't just numb that feeling away because when we numb it away then nothing changes and so everything you've described i just think it's so beautiful and it's so true how this happens um, as long as we don't go to another go-to numbing system, I think it is, it's, it's the blessing and the curse of living awake is like, you know, you can't live awake in a society that needs so much healing and change, um, especially around like racial injustice and, and not feel a deep desire to like be in doing something about it. Right. But, but equally it's so easy to, when you see things just to numb them away and, and just live in that kind of liminal space. And so I think your story, it's so fascinating how it would come out, you know, when you really let your guard down, but now it's, it's kind of evolving into something that I mean, from, from your work, even like just sounds so powerful. It's just beautiful. Oh, thank you. No, and I hope so. And it is, it's funny, like you, as you were talking about it, because it is something that's always bothered me, but I think I could never quite put my finger on it. 
or why or then when I'd get drunk and really angry about it then it was it'd be like I would explode but then I'd feel really shameful about it and then be in a anxiety spiral and now having that clarity of thought it also enables you to see it for what it is and recognize and start to understand structural racism and all the different systems and how it's upheld um, and rather uncomfortably as well your own part in it which is really really heavy work um, and in terms of me that's that's looking at colorism and light skin privilege and how much easier it's been for me than say a woman with darker skin to progress in tv and also just to move about in the world um, so that's been some very tricky thinking to get my head around as well and I wouldn't I think I've had the guts or the bravery to do that or have those conversations with friends um, who are women with darker skin had I still been drinking I think I would have shied away from it or I would have brought it up when I was drunk because I felt that that would have been the opportunity to voice it and to talk about it but and also you, you can never find a creative solution or a way through it when you are drunk because you can't think properly anyway so it's 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 useless the only way you can move through difficult things and difficult conversations and start to take action I think is when you are sober when you have all your mental faculties and then you can make decisions and you can say okay I'm going to operate now from this space um, and it's things like oh within my coaching business obviously we're very aware of racism um, so I'm making more of an effort to reach out to women of color and see how I can serve them so you're more conscious about what you're doing and not just acting with the blinkers off or thinking I'm not going to talk about that that's too uncomfortable well it's like no I do need to talk about it and if it's been bothering me then I think it's really been bothering other women as well and I think that's been the key difference and I think also just having a bit more courage to do something that's a bit that's going against the grain because when you're not drinking you're going against a big societal expectation so I think once you've done one then another one then talking about racism becomes a little bit easier I would say because I'm like oh I've already done something that people go oh my god that's all that's too much I'm like well let's talk about the next thing then um, so that's been really really eye-opening I think um, and having and also just having the space and the mental bandwidth to have those conversations and to start to plan and take action as well yeah, yeah that's that's really it's just so important I mean I I am obviously on my own journey um, as we all are but I remember like one of the best analogies is for me to understand white privilege was like oh it's like I'm starting on third base when other people might be starting in the parking lot. And just to like, oh, well that that is actually true. And to accept the truth of that and feel the like disparity and, and the shame that comes with like, well, I didn't want to be in this privileged position, but I am thankful, but I didn't want it, but I wanna help. Mm -hmm. And like all of these different things that, you know, we're collectively wrestling with and just having, the bravery and the courage to have the conversation, especially because we don't know what to say. And, and I don't think anybody really does have it figured out. And so you can say something and just, oh man, can it blow up back in your face so quickly? And so then you, you, you know, we're all human and we take our little wounding, which is 
is so ridiculous in the scheme of things, but it's, it's just so typical of humans. And then like having to come back and, and try it again and learn more and try a different way. And I, I do think that none of those things um, were accessible when it wasn't when you could just drink away the discomfort of yes. seeing, you know, some of the horrors on, on television yes. and what happened with George Floyd. And you could just be like, oh, that's awful, but I'll just drink it away. I'll just yeah. push these emotions away. I'm just not yeah. going to allow myself to feel it. And then having to come to this reckoning of like, no, this exists right here and right now. And, um, and it isn't, it isn't, uh, you know, it isn't apart from me and my existence. It is part of all of us and all of our existence. And we all have responsibility and culpability in all of this. And it's, it's just this space that isn't comfortable, but I always, you know, I believe that all change happens on the other side of awareness. And I think that awareness is the first step and curiosity, you know, to the extent you can curiosity without judgment. I feel like that's really what's helped me in my own journey with alcohol is okay I need to get really curious about what the truth is what's happening here why is it happening but then I need to do that in a way that doesn't doesn't shame myself to the point where I don't have the guts to go further so if, if I'm taking it for the drinking example if I was to get curious about why is it that I can't wait to put my son down for for bedtime because I'm so desperate to get to the bottle of wine and why am I so frustrated when he's taking a little bit longer you mm -hmm. know curious about that without the like just like overwhelming like because I'm a horrible person because I don't get it because this is all you know because that those feelings shut down curiosity and so it is this balance of of really understanding that like I'm I'm not doing it right but I have been doing the best I can with the tools I've had and the knowledge and education I've had and it's up to me to get more knowledge and more education and and continue in the journey of being super curious and I agree none of that was accessible at all when I was still drinking. Exactly exactly it's just it's the level of like we were talking about awareness and clarity and I think also what's really important for and again, I spoke to my aunt about this um, and because I'm mixed race, my um, my dad's white. Um, so um, my aunt who I'm talking about, she's white. And um, she was saying that as a white person, she feels an incredible amount of guilt and it feels more complicated as well because she has close family members who are black, who are who are mixed race. And she said it's just that feeling can be very paralyzing of like, like you're saying, like, what am I going to do with all this privilege? How can I? change it into a force for good um and we we speak about this quite a lot and it's it's again that having that awareness and also just doing a bit of the work like bit by bit that's that's what the work is and it is really uncomfortable but the important thing is to do it and to keep on trying because i i can't speak for all black people or people of color but we'd rather people try than not do it at all and of course nobody's going to get it right first first time that's that's fine but it's like be involved in it because it affects all of us it's not a problem that's one particular group of people's problem we can see it's affecting everyone it's really affecting society at large so it is really really important that we all talk about it and move through it um, and also this is why this year I had to take a step back from a particular group of friends because they weren't willing to engage with it at all and I thought well if you can't engage with that then you can't see me as a person because if you're refusing to see the color of my skin that's just you like tapping out going that's it's too hard for me um, and I'm like well you don't see me for who I am so 
I can't continue being friends in this capacity or right now it's too hard and it's really really difficult to come to those realizations and you can't force somebody to meet you halfway you just have to keep the conversation open and I'm willing to do that but you can't force people to to do that self-inquiry even if it's really really difficult I'm not saying it's easy it's not easy I know it's not easy for anyone um, but I think what I've really responded to with um, my white friends who have been doing the work is again their willingness to do it their openness and if they have made mistakes they've gone okay I'll try this again or they've just been you know reading different books just trying to get their heads around it and that that's the main thing because then you start to humanize people of color because I think black people have been dehumanized for so many hundreds of years now that it's going to take a long time to undo that type of thinking but we have to start because look at where we are now and things aren't improving it feels like we're sort of going backwards or it does to me anyway so it's such important work um so it's like just start just do what you can and just keep on going that's what I would say with it I love that. I love that so much. Thank you for that, just for myself personally, and obviously for everybody listening. And um, I do think that sometimes, you know, it has to, it has to come out, it has to look like it's coming backwards, because we have to see what we can't see first. And that part is super painful. And it's not that yeah. these things that we're seeing now, they've existed. We just haven't had videos, you know, we haven't had social media, we haven't had the accessibility to information. So they've existed and by the way, probably, you know, to varying degrees, better, worse, but like it, it's been there all along. And, and so now I think it is almost, it's so necessary for us to be like seeing it in a new way and going through like the horrors collectively of seeing it because if we don't see it, we can't fix it. If we don't see it, we can't change it. And um, and so I do think things have to get worse before they get better in, in a big way. I think that's kind of how, how a lot of things work. I mean, that's certainly how alcohol had worked in most people's lives as you go through this stage of things of things getting worse before they get better. Like you can you can kind of convince yourself for a long time that things are okay. And then eventually at some level, you can't convince yourself anymore and and things do have to you have to reach threshold and um i am hopeful that like uh, in a lot of people's hearts and minds we are reaching threshold and we're like whoa like no no and and i think that's where it starts but but you're right awareness is incredibly incredibly painful and i think it takes just i think being being awake for it instead of numbing it out is is a really beautiful thing because it's it means that we will be you know activated to start to think differently and to be curious and to start using whatever privilege we have to do something about it and to change it which is like you know the only thing we can do is <laughs> just keep doing the best we know how in the moment Exactly, exactly. No, absolutely. I think it's the only way, yeah, I could say it's the only way forward, really, because otherwise it's, it's regression. And that's really, really scary, um, because we're humans, and we always want to want to be making progress and moving forward. So it feels, that's another reason why it feels so wrong on that kind of level. And also just this, you know, on a human level, just seeing 
your fellow human beings being treated that way it's it's that it kind of it gets to you at that kind of that heart that heartfelt level I think as well I think that's what a lot of people are experiencing this year as well which is really difficult um, on top of the global pandemic so it's a lot of heavy stuff but awareness and taking time and and doing your bit is the is the way forward and hopefully it will start to get better um we can only hope and you can only start making you know doing the pressures and making the social change that we want to see happen but I think that's true with any kind of big political change it's all it always feels uncomfortable and like oh my gosh before you actually do it in terms of like you know women getting the vote that was they were seen as you know extremist as you know they locked up women they force fed them that was just you know completely you know they were completely vilified and we think of that as oh my god that's so old-fashioned how could they have thought that way how could they think that women didn't deserve the right to vote so hopefully you know in a couple of generations time that's how we'll feel about racism I hope so I really hope so because it was like just, literally a hundred years ago like that's one person's lifetime exactly right like it's not like in the whole history of humanity like women didn't have the right to vote in one person's lifetime of all the generations that have ever existed and yeah. so that's atrocious and hopeful both at once because we can actually when we collectively band together and we're collectively open-minded and we're collectively willing to admit you know our our part in it and what we've done wrong without beating ourselves up without like this crushing guilt and shame that just doesn't it actually just makes us run away from the problem but that curiosity without judgment which i think is the key and willingness to engage um then like it is hopeful it is hopeful how much progress we can make in 100 years but it is also yes. it is also incredible that some of these things are just so so in our recent history i mean it's it's so recent you know and and then to think that you know just to keep that in mind in terms of like like i don't know it, it when would you come at it with like oh no this this is a non issue it it I just don't even understand that perspective because, and I've heard it said so many times, like, this isn't an issue. Like, no, like this is, it's not even that long ago that we were, I mean, it's, it's crazy how recent it is, um, but also how much can change when we really do um, have the courage to, to open up and, and talk and learn. Exactly, Are there any exactly. resources that you would recommend to um, people listening? Yes, um, I would recommend Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race by Rennie Edo Lodge. Um, it's very much from a British perspective on, on race, um, but it's really interesting because she breaks down the topic into different themes. Um, and there's a really interesting chapter on feminism and race and how it intersects and talking about how feminism needs to include all groups of people to to bring everyone up it needs to be very inclusive and I found that really really illuminating when I read it it's not an easy read but it's so interesting and she writes so brilliantly um, that it's really really captivating so I really loved that um that book and if you want something that's um a bit more 
digestible I would say um I recommend the book Queenie which is um which is a fiction book by um Candice Carthy Williams and uh, that's a story of um a young black woman in London who's also grappling with mental health issues um and it's just she's a really really interesting wonderful character and it just can help you kind of see things from the perspective of of a young black woman and again it's that thing about humanizing black people which I think is so important um so I think that book's really really good as well really helps you get into living in imagining living in somebody else's shoes that's what I'm trying to say <laughs> which is of course what literature gives us <laughs> I love that so much. Yeah. So we'll put those in the show notes for sure. And I, I, I love that you recommended Queenie specifically because that, that idea of when we like hate cannot stand up to intimacy. Like we only hate what we don't know or understand. And once you come close, like it just, it just doesn't because we are all made of the same stuff on the inside. And so like when you get close, you can't, you can't maintain that. And I've seen that um, we have some family on my husband's side that's, you know, middle America, very, very different sort of perspective than my husband and I have. And, you know, I have seen that in, as soon as they travel or as soon as they get out of their bubble, or as soon as they come very close with people who they thought were scary, dangerous, like mm. it breaks down because you can't be, it's very hard to be in a place of hatred when you intimately know somebody or in a place of fear or in a place of, you know, and so I, I love this, this recommendation specifically because um, how much do you get to feel someone when you're reading a book uh, that is based on their story? I, I love that. So that's a really thoughtful, thoughtful recommendation, but both of these will put them in the show notes. Thank you so much for that. Oh, no worries. No worries. So welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so Ella, let me ask you the question that I kind of always ask at the end of these podcasts, which is if you were to go back to Ella of, um, you know, just really feeling like walking out of the, <laughs> the bridal shower and uh, feeling just so dejected on the subway and in, in so much pain and not really knowing what to do and how to change. Um, and you were to talk to her about how life is now and how things have turned out, what would you say? I would say, follow your gut. Like this is the right decision for you. It might feel really uncomfortable now, but follow it through. And also you don't need to be a quote unquote alcoholic to stop drinking. If it's making you feel this upset, there's a reason for that. So it's time to stop. Um, and also that your life will become I mean your life's already great you're already very very lucky but it will become even better in so many ways that you never thought possible and you never know who you'll inspire and who you'll meet along the way that's what I would say I love that so good so amazing um where can we see some of your work mm. oh most of my work is on my Instagram page okay. um so that's at Ella St. John McGrand and okay. um, my my team is just um, sorting out my uh, my website so that'll be going up soon as well um, with my various coaching offers um, but most of my content's on on my Instagram that's where I like to do my long videos and get into topics to really uncover them and see what's coming up for for people I love 
trying to help them through their various problems or issues they've got especially in terms of their mindset blocks that's something I love talking about because I think it's so interesting how we're held back by particular stories we tell ourselves and how much we believe that they're true and that when you start to interrogate them you're like oh is that actually true so like for me it would be oh I won't be fun now that I don't drink not true once you start looking at it so that's one that can easily be overcome (laughs) so good okay so at ella st john the grand and we'll put that in the show notes as well but that's that's great i love your instagram channel so oh thank you it's fun it's lovely being able to connect with people it's like that's what the internet is for that's what it's for that's the magic of it (laughs) sure so much good well, thank you so much for your time. This has just been a joy. I was not not disappointed when we met like very briefly. I was like, oh, I'm gonna get to know her more. It's just been really fun. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. Have you tried the alcohol experiment? Okay, if not, drop everything and go to thisnakedmind.com forward slash experiment. This free 30-day challenge is designed to interrupt your patterns and put you back in touch with the best version of you. You remember it was that version of you that's living your most joyful life, the version that doesn't need alcohol to relax or to have a good time and is having more fun than ever. And again, this is a totally free challenge that will change everything for you. So learn more and join me 100% free at thisnakedmind.com forward slash experiment. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.